Lake Grace Community Church. My name is Matt Naismith, and I'm the pastor for Teaching and Vision of Church of the City here in the city of Guelph. And it is absolutely my honor, my privilege to be teaching you today. Back in the fall, I spent three months on sabbatical, 12 weeks away from my vocational work as a pastor for Church of the City. And during that time, I had four nights away at a monastery. My spiritual director had encouraged me to take some time away on my own in silent retreat. And so I actually went down to Niagara Falls and there's a monastery there called St. Carmel's Monastery. And so I went down, I was there, as I said, for four nights. And on my last day, my spiritual director had given me John 15 to spend meditating on, praying over, reading through. And that day, for whatever reason, I decided that I would go into uh, the top floor of the monastery. The rest of the week I'd been spending in my room, but for this last prayer period, I sensed maybe I need to go up to this top floor. And I went up to the top floor, and at the top floor there was this little inlet, this little room, and the room was surrounded by windows. It was a beautiful, picturesque scene. I got to the little inlet, I got to the little room, I took the chair, I sat on it, closed my eyes, started my breathing exercises, and began to read the text that we're going to study this morning, John 15, verses 1 through 11. Well, partway through reading the text, I looked around. I, I, I opened my eyes. I looked through the windows. And before me was a vineyard. Mount Carmel Monastery has a vineyard right there on site. Now, I want to read the text for you this morning so you'll see how significant this was for me. This is the words of Jesus. This is red letter, his word to us. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full." Now, the interesting thing about that time in that prayer period is that my spiritual director had no idea that the monastery that I was at was located with a vineyard on site. 
And so this was significant to me, and God, by his spirit, began to speak to me about this text. Subsequent to that time away, I've spent further time in this text. And actually a month ago, when I knew that I'd have the opportunity to speak to you, I was going through this text and I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me and say, Matt, this is the text that I would like you to teach for Grace Community Church. And this text has become for me a clarification on what it means for you and for me to be in a relationship with Jesus. You know, many people ask the question, what does it mean to be in a relationship with God? And here in John 15, Jesus tells us, And so what I want to do today is focus on four realities, four characteristics of what it means to be in a relationship with Jesus. And believe me, each of these four things are good news. Now the four things, just to keep it simple for us, all four things are going to begin with the letter P. And the first thing is this, pruning. Pruning. Look with me if you have your Bibles at verses 1 to 2 and then jump ahead to verse 6 where Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and are burned." Now, in the event that you're not familiar with agriculture or the process of pruning, this is what pruning is. According to the dictionary, this is what pruning is. It's to trim, whether it be a tree, a shrub, or a bush, by cutting away dead or overgrown branches or stems. So that's what it is to prune, but there's a purpose behind pruning. And you prune to encourage growth. So what does this mean? To summarize, pruning is cutting away that which is dead or overgrown for the purpose of encouraging further growth, growth, greater fruit. Now the next question I want to help us understand is, well, what is fruit in the scriptures? What is is Jesus talking about of bearing fruit? What is fruit? Well, some of you will be familiar. You can go, go to Galatians 5 where the Apostle Paul writes about the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, fruit oftentimes in our life is our character, growing to become more like Jesus. A second area of fruit, if we just look at the context of John 15, is our surrender, our trust, and then our attachment to Jesus as another fruit in our lives, increasingly surrendering all of our lives lives unto him. Or a third fruit in the scriptures is evangelism, or what I've called the wake of discipleship. What do I mean by that? Well, imagine a boat going through the water, and behind the boat there is a wake that is created by the boat. And sometimes the fruit of our lives is what is the wake of our discipleship to Jesus? What is the wake? Are there people that we are leading to Christ? Sometimes those can be an example of fruit in our lives. And so what is Jesus saying by pruning? What is he trying to get at? Firstly, he says that the branches that do not bear fruit, those that are not growing in their character to become more like Jesus, those that are not growing to surrender nor trust Jesus, those that have a poor wake of their discipleship, we read, are taken away. This is speaking of judgment. But then secondly, he's saying something else that's deeply, deeply important. He's saying that the branches that do bear fruit must be pruned. 
they must be pruned in order to remove the dead or overgrown parts. Why? For the purpose of bearing more fruit. The purpose of bearing more fruit. So what does this mean? Well, first thing that it means is that pruning is absolutely necessary in our lives for growth. I was speaking with a friend who spent some time in Haiti working with um, those that grow uh, Arabica coffee plants. And he said that one of the challenges was trying to convince the farmers to cut their plants. The benefit of cutting the plant, rather than letting it grow too big, was that when you cut it, more fruit would come from the plant. He said even if you were to just cut it to kind of the level of your, your height, he said that would just bear so much fruit. But so many of the farmers were so hesitant to cut away the overgrowth or the dead branches. The University of Arizona uh, built this biodome. They spent billions of dollars on this biodome, and they wanted to create this ideal environment for growing things. And so they, they started growing trees. And what they found over time as they were growing these trees is that the trees would grow, but then they would just fall over. And so they, they, you know, they did more studies and they were trying to figure out why are the trees falling over? And then you can imagine a group of scientists standing around and someone says, well, there's no wind in our biodome. There's no wind in our biodome. And what they came to discover is that when a tree is planted and is there is no wind is that the tree is not forced to develop deeper roots, deeper roots that would help the overall health of a tree. And just like these trees, you and I need pruning. We need to be pushed and swayed by the wind in our lives at time by God and his spirit in order for us to grow. Jonathan Haidt in his book, The Coddling of the American Mind, writes this, Human beings need physical and mental challenges and stressors to develop or we deteriorate. For example, muscles and joints need stressors to develop properly. Too much rest causes muscles to atrophy, joints to lose range of motions, heart and lung function to decline, and blood clots to form. Without the challenges imposed by gravity, astronauts develop muscle weakness and joint degeneration. What am I getting at? What is Jesus getting at? Pruning is absolutely necessary for growth. Second reality of pruning, however, is that pruning requires specific care and attention. I think of my, my wife and I recently, we transplanted a hydrangea tree from our front garden to one of our back gardens, and I am not the gardener of the family. I dig the holes, my wife plants the, the bushes and the trees that we put into our garden. And so we went to the front and I dug the tree out and we brought it to our back garden because I knew this thing about the University of Arizona and the biodome, I recognized that because we'd cut some of the root system, the tree and its growth probably wasn't going to survive. And so I said to my wife, I said, I think what we need to do, you know, in my brilliance now, with this University of Arizona thing is I said, I think we need to cut back the tree a little bit. And, and I said, do you want me to do it? She says, no, absolutely not. It needs careful consideration and care. And so if I'd gone and cut the tree, I would have just probably cut off everything to try to create, you know, what I thought was, well, this is a good root system because I saw the roots into the ground. This is going to be helpful. And so she actually went and then started cut things. And we've continued to water the tree and the tree has come back to life and is doing quite well. And as we look at the vine and the branches, what we come to understand is that God is the experienced, all-knowing gardener who knows exactly where to prune to bring about the greatest growth. 
Look at verse 2. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. The question we need to ask ourselves is, well, why wouldn't we want this? Why wouldn't we want the pruning? Three things. Number one, pruning can be painful at times. You know this. Pruning can be painful. Secondly, pruning, it can be scary if we're honest. And it can be scary for lots of reasons. It can be unfamiliar. It may feel like we're losing something. It can feel like it's an attack upon our insecurities. This pruning requires vulnerability, humility, and then honesty. And then the third reality is that pruning is just antithetical in our culture, where the idols of comfort, safety, and control are alive and well and thriving in our culture. But I'll tell you, why is this pruning good news? It's good news because what followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus can understand is that when things get hard, you can have the assurance that Jesus' invitation is to go deeper, that you would bear more fruit, that your character would grow, that you'd grow in greater surrender and trust to Jesus, and that then you'd be leading people towards him. And remember, this is, this is good, more fruit. What pruning does is it helps us get better connected to our deepest longings that God has put there. And so in that sense, it's less about God taking things away and instead helping us understand our deepest longings. I think COVID, the last year and a half, has been a pruning process, yet what an opportunity to lean in to our dependence upon Jesus and grow, and the growth is fruit. So that's the first reality of a relationship with Jesus, the first P. What is the second one? And the second one is presence. Look with me at verse 4 and then jump ahead to verse 9. Jesus says this, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And then verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you you abide in my love. Now to abide is to live, to act in accordance with a command or a way of living. There's certainly an aspect of obedience to Jesus, but what I discovered over my sabbatical and since that time is another word that we could use for abide is attachment. To illustrate, some of you might be familiar with the circle of security. This is a uh, a really helpful thing to understand as parents, maybe you're a grandparent. What the circle of security teaches us is that young children, from the, from the moment they're born and even before in the womb, develop an attachment to the mother and then to their father. And over time, as the child grows up and becomes more independent, maybe you've been in one of these situations in which a child, you're introducing them to a new environment, and initially they're a little hesitant, right? They kind of hold on to your leg. But then as they begin to explore the room, they go explore, they're maybe making a few friends. What the child will often do is come back, reattach, and then go away again. Why? Because the parent is their attachment. The parent is their security. With that in mind, I want to read you Psalm 131. It says this, O Lord, My heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. 
but I have calmed and I have quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Now, I'll be honest, the first time I read this psalm, I was frustrated. I was upset. I was confused. I was like, God, what do you mean? I don't raise my eyes too high. I don't occupy myself with things too wonderful for me. Don't you want me to plan? Don't you want me to think about the future? What do you mean a weaned child in its mother's arms? A weaned child doesn't need to be in its mother's arms. It doesn't need its mother anymore. And then a wise friend, again, spoke to me about the circle of security and said the reality of the weaned child is it's with its mother simply to be with them, to be attached, to be secure. And so the goal of Jesus' presence is that we would abide with Jesus, that we would attach to Jesus via his presence, him with me and then me with him. And is this not the testimony of other Psalms? I think of Psalm 23 verse 1. One of the most challenging scriptures and, and verses in the Bible, the Lord is my shepherd. Then what does David write? I shall not want. In other translations, it's I lack nothing. Why? Because the Lord is my shepherd. His presence is with me. Or how about Psalm 34 verse 4? I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all of my fears. Or about Psalm 40 verse 1? I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. The presence of God changes everything. And is this not what we as Christians celebrate at Christmas? The incarnation. Emmanuel, God with us. God the Son enters human history, the cataclytic event of his tangible presence with us. Abide in me and I in you. So two realities, pruning, second one, presence, third one, promises. Verse 5, 7, and 10, there are three promises listed here. The first one, verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. What is Jesus saying? What's the promise? He's saying that when I attach to Christ, when I attach to him, I will bear much fruit. Attachment is going to lead to my change, the growth in my life. And attachment is going to mean that I'm going to become more like Jesus. And then Jesus warns. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. What a countercultural statement in our culture. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So that's promise one. But promise two, what does Jesus say? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So what's the promise? When I or when we abide in Christ, our requests are heard by God and our requests are answered. Now some of us may read this and go, okay, I can just ask for whatever I want. But remember the reality of attachment. When we attach to him, us with him, him with us, when we are pruned, when we're becoming more like Jesus, what is this going to do within us? Our requests will change. And so what is Jesus saying? As you're spending time with me in my presence, I will hear your requests and I will answer them. But your requests will change. 
And then the third promise, verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So what's the promise? When, when we obey Christ, we strengthen our attachment to him. And what happens is that we then experience his love. We can't remove this obedience aspect of attaching and abiding with him. And isn't this good news? And isn't it true, true news? That if I, if I am actually in regular disobedience, I prove in my actions that I don't trust him. That the fruit of growing in allegiance and surrender and trust to Jesus is not actually happening. And isn't this the case? Again, thinking of parents with their children. My kids are almost seven and five, two boys. And oftentimes after, you know, the tantrum, after the, no, I don't want to do this, I'll have a conversation with them. And I'll simply ask, do you not trust me? Is there something that I have done that has made you not trust me? You see, because when we trust someone, we're more open to what they want for us. And so when we grow in our attachment to Jesus, in relationship with him, we'll come to obey him because we know that he simply wants the best for us and that we can, in fact, trust him. And so four, three realities thus far of our relationships with Jesus. Pruning, presence, promises, but then fourthly, pleasure. Verse 8. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. And then verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. First, verse 8, when we attach to Jesus, when there is fruit coming from our lives, God is glorified. God is glorified through our character, our attachment to Jesus, and our growth in our discipleship, proving to be his disciples. The Father is glorified. He's made much of. He's pointed to this is another kind of symptom of growth in our character, is that the more we come to become like Jesus, the more we're going to point to him. We're not going to be looking to ourselves. We're not going to be trying to draw attention to ourselves. We're going to be pointing more and more towards Jesus. And then through that, God is glorified. And then secondly, as we grow in our relationships with Jesus, as we grow in our attachment to him, we come to experience the joy of Jesus. His joy is in me when I abide and I attach to him. And not just a small joy, but a full joy. And listen to what he says. Our joy may be full through pruning, through his presence. We experience joy. Jim Wilder, in his incredible book, Renovated, writes this. Joy is the energy that builds strong attachment love. Jesus means I am glad to be with you. Joy means, I am glad to be with you. In fact, most marriages come apart because partners lose the energy of attachment or joy and form new attachments with someone who gives them joy. Even prominent church leaders who are low on joy can fall scandalously when they encounter someone whose eyes say, you are special to me. 
despite the truth these preachers have preached and the choices they knew were right, the power of an illicit joy builds an illicit, an illicit attachment that costs them everything. And don't you and I know this, the motivation that joy is? And so what is Jesus saying? Once again, in our relationships with him, we will be pruned. We will experience his presence. We can experience his promises. And then he gives us his incredible joy. And what does that joy then do? It increases our desire to be in relationship with him. He becomes the center now, all four of these things, there's no particular order. It's not like you start with pruning, you go to the next one. All four of them are constantly in motion in this dance as we are in relationship with Christ. So what does Jesus say? I am the vine. You are the branches. I don't know where you are at today. I don't know where you're at with the relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're listening today and you, you don't know. You're saying, I don't know what it means to be in a relationship with Jesus. Friends, this is what it means to be in relationship with Jesus. He is the vine, you are the branch. And he invites you into relationship, to his presence, to then experience his pleasure. Maybe you are, and you do consider yourself a follower of Jesus. And if you're honest, you've lost the joy. The joy of Jesus doesn't seem to be full nor complete in your life right now. And I would simply invite you to invite the Holy Spirit, because what is one of the fruit of the Spirit's presence in our life? Joy. I'd also remind you, you know, we are so tempted to our performance-based spirituality. And please be reminded, Jesus' presence does not change when you feel like you're in a bad spot. Jesus' presence is constant. What does he say? He says, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so regardless of where you are at as you are listening to this message, I simply want to end with Jesus' own invitation to you and to me in Matthew 11. And this is not just an invitation to the person who has never trusted Jesus, although it is that as well. It's an invitation to all of us. And this is what he says. His invitation, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For why? This is the heart of God. This is the heart of Jesus. What does he say? For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the opportunity to hear your words, and I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would now speak, and that you would woo, and that you would bring people to the knowledge of Jesus, that there would be people that come to know you through this teaching, Lord Jesus. I pray that you would multiply any effort that I've brought to this, Lord Jesus, by your spirit, and that you would be glorified, and that those who are weary and heavy laden would come to you 
and they would remember and recognize maybe for the first time that you are gentle and lowly in heart. We thank you. We love you. In your son's name we pray. Amen.